Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is the great proclamation that the angel gave to those shepherds, just doing their job like they always did, one night on a hillside outside the city of Bethlehem when they least expected it. And God being who he is and the great promoter basically answered the five basic questions that should be given when you are giving an invitation or making an announcement. And those five basic one-word questions are who, what, when, where, and why. And then there's an additional one, how, and we can look at that in a moment. But thinking about that, see if you can notice how he answers all of those five basic questions in just this brief announcement that's recorded in a couple of verses in the New Testament. The angel declared that this event was an opportunity for the world to experience something magnificent, to experience joy. And what I want us to think about today is the difference between happiness and joy. So if you get nothing else out of the message today, I hope that you will keep this in mind. Because this prophecy that the angel spoke, it was not only an announcement, but it was a prophecy. Because he said, what? is happening right now and what has happened in this town of Bethlehem is not only something that's happening now, but it's an opportunity that's going to extend for the entire future of the human race. And we see that prophecy true because here we are thousands of years later, generation after generation after generation since this announcement was made. And right now around the world, there are people who sing songs such as Joy to the World, Hezu, Joy of Man's Desiring, uh, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. This prophecy has come true and it is continuing to be fulfilled. Well, why is that? How is it that people of every culture around the world in whatever government they're under and whatever political mess or spectrum that they are in, they can still be joyful? How is it that people who are living in poverty can have joy? I've seen it when we traveled to Nicaragua several years ago. A lady sweeping out her house that was constructed of basically wood from skids and sheet metal tin that came off of signs and she had a dirt floor and she was sweeping her dirt floor and sweeping outside the doorway with the broom to make the dirt all level and then taking water and sprinkling it so that the dust wouldn't be raised when people came to her home and she had a smile on her face her kids we're joyful. How can that be? How can somebody in poverty have joy? How can someone who is going through suffering and pain have a joyful heart? Well, to find the answer, we're going to look at exactly what this angel said, and we're going to break it down. I've referred to this in the past kind of jokingly as joyology. You know, it's like you've got theology. You do a study about joy, it's joyology. So, uh, 
But I want to talk about that. What does it mean to be joyful and how is it different from happiness? What kind of joy and who is it for? Where does it come from? When will we realize it? Why is it offered? And then again, the most important question really, where it's up there with the rest of them, how? How can I get that kind of joy? So again, the first part in understanding this, and if you don't get anything else out of this message today, I hope you'll begin to realize this, is understanding again the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is related to happiness, but it's a deeper experience. And by the way, um, we're trying to do this more from time to time, so I appreciate your patience with us. But this morning, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you can open it up and go to the events. And what we're doing right now, this event, this morning message, you'll find it there in the Bible app. Look for Porterfield, and it'll have these notes and some verses uh, to help you today for those of you that love the technology. And, but if you're kind of old-fashioned, like I'm kind of in between, you know, <laughs> I like the new stuff, but I still like to take my notes. And I even actually am really old-fashioned. I got paper notes up here. Isn't that crazy? But I like to use all of that. But anyway, so if you're kind of old-fashioned and you want to just use a pencil and paper and jot a note down. But I put this on the screen because I think it's really important for us to get this in our mind to understand the difference between happiness and joy. So again, joy is related to happiness, but it's such a deeper experience because happiness is related to feeling good about something. So happiness really is kind of connected to our feelings, but joy goes so much deeper than that. It's not necessarily attached to feelings. Joy is related to being part, here it is, being part of something good. And you can be part of something good and going through a rough time. And so you can experience joy and yet not be happy. I know that sounds contradictory, but that is a key difference. And this is why God specifically sent that angel to say, I, he didn't say I'm bringing you great news that's gonna make you happy. <laughs> he said, I'm bringing you news that's gonna bring great joy into your life because it's something so much deeper than happiness. So take a look at, the first thing is like, what kind of joy? The angel says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great, great joy. And when we look at the original text that the New Testament was written in, Luke records that word in the Greek, and the Greek word is megas. And so literally, it's where we get the term mega from today. Anything that's mega, it's big. You know, the mega shark, the mega whatever. Um, and so really when you look at all the synonyms for that Greek word megos, listen to this. Here's some synonyms for that. Large, loud, abundant, great in stature or quantity. I love this one, powerful, powerful. Think of it in that way. The angel said, I'm coming to bring you good news that's gonna result in powerful joy for your life. It is also mighty, strong, splendid. Here's another one, important. I'm coming to bring you and announce something that's going to bring you important joy. Excellence on a grand scale. So the reason for this large joy or this mega joy is because of what God was doing in the world. Now, we all have gone through times in life where we've gotten bad news. Um, maybe when you were in school, um, 
you got the test results back of an exam you took and you failed or you didn't get the grade that you were expecting. Maybe you flunked out on a class. That's bad news because you see how it affects your life. Maybe you've gotten bad news about a, a medical diagnosis. Uh, many different things we can go through that is bad news. Well, think about it on the other hand, uh, on the other side of that. When you get bad news, think about it when you get good news. Maybe that diagnosis that you got that seemed bad, all of a sudden you're told, hey, there is treatment for that and your chances of recovery are, you know, 100%. This is totally curable. Wow, that's good news. To get the feel of this joy in good news, go back in your mind with me to the time of this culture. And even really prior to that, in the early days um, of Israel, when they had settled in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was surrounded with walls. And often what would happen is when a city or a country was going into battle, the people of the city would gather within the safety of the city walls, and the younger men that were trained for battle and able to do that would go out and they would fight the enemy. The older men who were maybe no longer able to fight, they would stand up on the walls and they became watchmen on the walls. And they would send the report to everybody inside the city walls that couldn't see what was going on outside. And so imagine now an enemy army has come and is attacking the city, and your troops have gone out to fight against the enemy. The gates were opened. Your troops go out. You hear the clash outside, screaming, shouting, moaning, fighting going on. You're watching the men on the wall because you can't see anything, and you're just waiting to find out what's going to be the outcome of this battle. And this battle doesn't go on for just a few hours, but it goes on day after day after day. And you're wondering what the outcome is going to be. And then finally you hear from the watchman on the wall, we've won! We've won! The enemy's retreating! Our soldiers are advancing! We're safe! The city is saved! I mean, imagine if you were inside those city walls because, again, they didn't have the technology like we got today. And you're hearing the shouts and the joy and the proclamation from the tops of the city walls. Your heart rejoices. You're thinking, oh, good. Our, our way of life has been preserved. There's a, there's a future for us. There is a hope. That's the kind of joy that this angel is describing to these shepherds. Because they didn't know the hope of Jesus Christ up until that time. They didn't know that there was anything beyond death. Many of them, we think because we're on this side of the cross and the message of Jesus and everything, we assume that, oh, yeah, they always believed in that stuff. They were in a lot of darkness. And now God was finally giving them some clarity, literally bringing spiritual light into the world. This was good news, and it brought joy to their hearts to know there is hope, not only in this life, but beyond this life. Now, look at what he says, to whom this joy is offered. Do not be afraid for... Behold, I give you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You see, it's, it's collective. It's a joy that can be experienced by anyone, no matter your social class, economic class, your ethnicity, any of that stuff. It's a joy that can be experienced collectively, but I love this. It is a joy that can be experienced personally. 
God is speaking it to your heart and my heart personally because look at what the angel said. Listen to what he says. There is born to you. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ came into the world through the Jewish nation of Israel. And up until that time, under the old covenant, God was working strictly through the nation of Israel. He had set up the sacrificial system with the lambs and the bulls and the different things that they were to offer uh, to bring as like a peace offering between them and God. They were doing it by faith. The Bible says even, even back in those days, it was really by faith that people were trusting in God. They were taking him at his word and believing in it and then just following through with it. And that's what God asks us today to do through Christ. It's by faith. It's acting on what he's done for us and trusting and, and just cooperating with that, walking in it. But the sacrificial system was a way that God was giving an object lesson, day in, day out, year in, year out, of something wonderful he was going to do in the future from that time through his son Christ, that Jesus would be the one all-time great sacrifice for us. But they were still under that Old Testament, that Old Covenant. It wasn't until Jesus Christ came into the world and gave his life on the cross of Calvary that the night before he did that, when he gathered and had the Passover meal with his disciples, remember he said, this cup that I'm sharing with you is a new covenant now in my blood. It's a new agreement. And so we have a new covenant now through Jesus Christ. It's a joy that can be experienced by anyone. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, years ago, this was spoken to the nation of Israel, but again, God's plan has always been to open it up for the whole world. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 9, 6, he writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, the angel said, there is born to you. In John three sixteen, the words of Jesus are recorded, for God so loved the world that he gave, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So again, whosoever, it doesn't matter who you are, you can experience that joy. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, it says this, as the scripture says, anyone... Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. Here it is again in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we know now that it's for all of us. It's open to anyone. And the next question is when? Well, when can we experience that joy? When is it realized? And the angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for there is born to you this day. It's now. It's here. You don't have to wait for it. He has provided it through his son, Christ. And this is what the angel was saying. You can have it right now. It's happening. This day has been born. And how much we can experience the joy that God offers really is in relation to our response to the source of that joy or the source and foundation of the joy, which is Christ and 
Of course, we know this, but I want to bring that out in, in just a moment. But again, until Jesus came into the world, there was not that specific place that people could find that type of joy. That's why the Apostle Paul writes, now in Christ, in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's good news. This glad tidings that the angel proclaimed, the good news of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, it's not just for the nation of Israel, but he's extended to all of us now. Now here's, just to be real and authentic with you, joy can be increased or diminished. So like I said, it's related to happiness, but it's much deeper than happiness. So just like happiness, you can have it one minute and then it can be gone the next. Well, joy, this kind of joy, you never really lose it, but sometimes we can have so many things happen that we're not as mindful of it. And so instead of being joyful, we become joyless. We have less joy than we really realize. King David recognized that in the Old Testament when he was following God and writing many songs and God raised him up to, a, 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 to be a leader for the nation of Israel. He had that sense of joy to the full. God had brought him through all of the persecutions of Saul and attacks on him, spared his life. Now he's the king of Israel. He is full of that joy, wrote many psalms, again, through the troubles of life and through the, the triumphs of life. But then David began to take his mind off of the joy giver and began to look for other things of happiness. He wanted to find some happiness in some other ways. And so he gave in to some lustful thoughts and a temptation that was laid before him. In his day, it was the version of pornography. Uh, he didn't have a screen to look at, but he had a rooftop. And the rooftops in those days were flat, so it's not like uh, our angled rooftop. So for any of you wondering, how did he stand up on his rooftop? They were flat. And because he was in the king's palace, it was elevated higher, and there was another rooftop, and there was a woman who was, I guess, decided to get in her hot tub on the roof. I don't know. I don't know why anybody would want to get a bath on your rooftop, but I don't know. But, so, you know, I don't think Bathsheba was totally innocent all of, in all of this. Maybe she was putting on a little show. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say, but the point is this. David is the one that was still responsible. He was looking for happiness beyond all the, the wives and everything that God had blessed him with. And he saw one thing he didn't have, and he said, oh, I want that. And I'm king, and I'm going to get it. And so he went after Bathsheba. Many of you know the story. They had the sexual encounter, had an affair. She became pregnant. Then David's like, uh-oh. And he decided to cover it up. And in the course of trying to cover it up, long story short, he had Bathsheba's husband killed in a battle. So now he's not only guilty of adultery, uh, he's guilty of murder. David forgot his joy. And when Nathan, the prophet, confronted him about that, he began to realize how much he had taken his eyes off of what God had given him, this joy that God had given him, and he was trying to find this happiness, happiness, happiness. How many times... Have you heard people try to justify wrongdoing in their life because, well, I just want to be happy. 
and I deserve to be happy. Or we'll justify it for other people. Well, other people deserve to be happy. So they should do whatever they want to do if it makes them happy. And that's fine. Here's what you need to understand about happiness. It is so temporary. And God offers something so much more than happiness. He offers joy. And sometimes to experience that kind of joy, you've got to say no to happiness. Oh, I wasn't planning on saying this, but somebody needs to hear it. <laughs> sometimes you have to say no to happiness to experience real joy in your life because it's the kind of joy that only God can bring. And when David realized this, he wrote this song that gives us a glimpse into a repentant heart that any of us should have when we realize we have disobeyed God, wandered from God, and totally gotten out of step with him. Psalm 51, verse 2, David writes, Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Isn't it funny, somebody pursuing happiness and then they get caught up in something that they never thought they'd end up doing and now they're not happy anymore. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and you're justified when you judge. He's speaking this to God. He's not making excuses. He's not saying, God, you're outdated. Your word's outdated. It doesn't apply anymore in my life. Get with the times, God. He says, God, you are right when you judge. And then he says this in verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And here it is in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. <laughs> That's the kind of prayer that'll bring your joy back. It didn't come immediately. And sometimes when we pray for joy, it's not just like that moment we pray for it and we get it back. I've experienced that in my life. There was a time specifically, there's been ups and downs throughout my ministry here with you at Porterfield, but a few years back, um, you know, y'all know the story, well, many people know the story of the fire and I'm not gonna go through all that. So, so God, that was a really rough time and I'd kind of lost my sight of joy through that time and prayed and God helped me with it. But then there was another time even after that where things were going pretty good. We were getting ready to go through another building program here. And I'm like, you know, a lot of pastors would be really happy to, to have growth in the church and a new building program and all this stuff going on. And yet I was just all stressed out about it. And then God helped me to realize, Mark, do you realize you know, how you are being blessed and the church is being blessed? And I just had to be real honest with God and I, and I said, God, I'm sorry. Um, I just, I've kind of lost the recognition of my joy. I've lost my joy. Will you please restore it back to me? Help me to enjoy this. Help me, help me to realize that joy. And again, it wasn't in that moment, but that was a turning point for me because in the days and weeks and months ahead, God began to lighten my load. He sent people to help. Things that I was all stressed out about, God began to move and work, and I felt the joy coming back. And again, I'm not talking about happiness now. It became a true joy once again to serve him in ministry. It's always a privilege to serve him. And I'm being real with you. This may surprise some of you. I can't believe the pastor's saying he doesn't enjoy ministering to us. Well, you know, sometimes... Uh, 
Life isn't easy. And we all face the same things. But again, the point in sharing all this with you is to say, if you're honest with God and authentic and ask for him to restore that joy, he'll do it. It'll come. Just keep turning your heart to him. Just like David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I love this. The apostle John that walked with Jesus says that no matter what we've done, even as a follower of Christ, if we've messed up, we can ask him to forgive us and cleanse us. And in so doing, we have the assurance of that joy. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins, and here's the great thing, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you know that you've been forgiven and cleansed, you've got like a fresh start, man, it just helps to make you realize that joy that we have in Christ. So joy is a result of understanding what Christ can do. It's an understanding of what he can do about your past, can be forgiven. It's about what he can do with your present, how he wants to use you in the place that you're at now, and then also what he is doing for your future. He's giving you a future and a hope. So where can you find this mega joy? Well, I've been talking about it all morning. It's not found in a place, but it's found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So joy is based on peace with God through this Savior who has provided this work for us, this peace that has brought us to God and God to us. And the only person that has done that is Christ Jesus. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He was fully God, fully man. He is the mediator. You may not think you need a savior, but just consider this. Because let's say you're a mechanic and your car breaks down and you've got the knowledge to fix that car or that vehicle, that truck, whatever it is, then you're right. You don't need any help with it because you know how to do it. You can fix it. If you become ill and you kind of know the medication to take or something and you take it and you get better, well, you're right. You don't really need a savior because you knew what to do. Well, you still needed the medication. But let me just ask you this, smarty pants. <laughs> For those of you who think you don't need a savior, what are you gonna do about death? Fix that. Fix that. How are you gonna fix death? How are you gonna know in your heart that when you die, what happens to you? If we're honest, we all need a savior. You need a savior and I need a savior, especially when it comes to death, because nobody has fixed that yet. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, there was one who fixed that. His name's Jesus. He went through it, suffered, died, mocked, ridiculed, beaten, beyond human recognition, laid in a tomb, three days later walked out bodily, alive. There's one person that fixed death and conquered it. His name's Jesus. 
And it wasn't just for a moment, and then he collapsed and was gone again. For 40 days after he conquered death, he hung out with his disciples. He fixed him breakfast by the seashore in Galilee and taught them. He gave them some commands to do, and he said, I'm getting ready to go back up into heaven, but I've got a mission, and I'm putting you on a mission. One day I'm going to return, but until I return, I want you to tell everybody about what I'm doing for them, the future I'm giving to them, and that I'm going to indwell them with my Holy Spirit. That's why I'm going to heaven, because I'm going to send my spirit into the world so I can be everywhere at once in people. God's already everywhere at once. His spirit's everywhere, but he wants to indwell you and I. He, his presence, wants to come into your spirit and give you spiritual life. And that's a hope that's not only for now, but it's for all eternity. So that when your body, your physical body does die, you don't cease to exist. You'll go to be in the presence of Christ. And this is a mysterious thing. I cannot explain it. But one day these bodies are going to be reconstructed. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's the God of all molecules and atoms and everything that exists. Somehow he's going to bring it all back together and going to give us glorified bodies and we're going to be in that eternal state forever. Because right now these bodies aren't fit for eternity, but God's going to make them fit for eternity. And in the same way that he fulfilled his first promise to come into the world and die on the cross for our sins and rise again, he's going to be true to this promise of a future resurrection. So the joy that we have, remember, happiness is feeling good about something. Joy is being part of something good. And that's why if you put your faith in Christ, because he's conquered death, he's given us a future and a hope, we can be a part of something good that is so much greater than ourselves that it gives us a joy that happiness cannot give and that the world cannot give. So just as a quick refresher, well, let me share a couple of verses and I'm gonna wrap this up with, with a little refresher. Here's what the Bible says about us needing a savior. In Romans chapter 10, verses eight through 11, it says this, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that confession is made unto salvation or by that confession you're saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, or what we deserve because of our sin is death, separation from God. But then it goes on to give us the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that brings the joy that the world cannot give. There's two things that Romans says here, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, that helps us to experience this joy and this salvation to the fullest. Number one, you gotta believe it in your heart. And then the second part of that is you need to confess it with your mouth. And again, this is so practical, it's so common sense, we do this all the time. If you go out and eat at a restaurant and they serve really good food, what do you do? You usually tell people, hey man, you, you gotta eat at that restaurant, they serve really good food, it's great, and reasonably priced. <laughs> or maybe not, but whatever. So you're confessing it with your mouth because you experienced it in your body, in your stomach really there, but you know, you're believing it in your heart, you're confessing it with your mouth. If you go to see a movie that really is touching or exciting, or thrilling, whatever, what do you do? You experience it, it's great, you feel it in your heart, and then you tell people, you, you ought to go see that movie. 
So why in the world do we think it should be any difference when it comes to this joy that God has given us through faith in Jesus Christ? We experience it in our heart. We need to be willing to tell people about it. I don't know anybody that truly wants to get married and they fall in love with each other and they say, let's get married, but then one says to the other, but you know what? I really do love you with all my heart, but can we just not talk about it? I mean, you know, I, I just, I'd really just like to keep it between us, okay? Is that cool with you? <laughs> I don't know anybody that would be okay with that. And yet we think God's okay with that. We think God is perfectly fine with, well, God, you know where I'm at with you and I love you and you're my savior, but I just can't talk to anybody about it. And God's like, what's up with that? What kind of joy is that? What kind of reality? What kind of authenticity is that? And then on the other side, God doesn't want the flip side of that. He doesn't want us going around confessing about Jesus if we're not feeling it in our heart and just putting on a show. He doesn't want people to just come to church and look all religious and spiritual, and yet they're empty inside. So God is all about authenticity, and that's what this scripture tells us. That's how we know for sure that we're experiencing this joy. We believe it in our heart. We've received Christ. We experience it, and we're willing to tell others about it. In Jude, verses 24 and 25, there is no chapter because Jude is just the one letter, the one thing. It's short says this, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Now, here's a really cool thing. Because you have Christ in your life, when God looks at you, instead of doing what everybody else does and finding fault with you and seeing all the faults that you have, when you have Christ in your life, instead of seeing your faults, he sees Jesus there. And he says, you're good, you're good. You're good, Jesus, 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 you're good, you're good. But, but, but God, what about that? You're good. Doesn't that give you a sense of joy? I'm not saying that if you accept Christ, you should just go out and live however you want and, and God doesn't care. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, instead of like people do, looking to scrutinize every little fault, God says, if you have me in your life, it's covered. Christ paid the penalty for all your faults, flaws, sins. You're good. You're mine. You're in. And if that doesn't bring you a sense of joy, I don't know what will. Jude goes on and he says, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So again, just as a quick little recap, who offers the joy? It's God through Christ Jesus. To whom is it offered to? It's to you. You, you, me, all of us, anyone. What kind of joy is it? <laughs> it's an important joy. It's a powerful joy. It's a mega joy. And when can it be realized? Well, it can be realized right now, but also in the future. And where can we find it? Well, I've been talking about him all morning. It's not in a place, it's in the person of Christ. Here's one that I didn't really answer yet, and that's the question, why? Why does God offer this kind of joy? And really the answer is both simple and astounding, because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves us. 
And he wants us to experience peace and joy that the world can't give. So he came into this world that he created and offered himself. That's why. And then the final bonus question, well, how can I get this joy? Well, I've already shared the answer. So open up your heart and life to him. Believe it. Don't stop being skeptical and doubting and feeling like you got to figure it all out. Just open your heart and life to him and say yes and be willing to receive him. I don't understand how electricity works, but it doesn't keep me from sitting in the dark all day, you know. I don't sit in the dark all day because I don't understand how electricity works. Well, I guess it would be at night, right? <laughs> I flip the light switch. I use electricity every day, and I'm blessed by it, even though I don't understand how it works. Stop trying to figure God out. You'll never do it. Just start making use of what he offers through his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. Would you stand? Lord, thank you for the ways that you work that are so complex that they are beyond our understanding. And yet you give us messages like this, like the angel gave to the shepherds. It's just so clear and easy to understand. It's like, how could we miss it? So I thank you that your message is not only to the well-trained and the educated, but it's to the most simple, uneducated, and yet wise. <laughs> because as the slogan is stated, wise people still seek him, and wise people still find him. And wisdom has nothing to do with our education or our intelligence. It has to do with a willing heart. So, Lord, help us to be wise today. And if there's anyone here that's been struggling with a sense of joy through this Christmas season, I pray that you use this message to encourage them once again. Help them to ask you to restore that joy within them. And, Lord, if they've never experienced the joy that only you can bring, I pray that you use the message today to help them consider trusting Jesus. And I pray that through that step of faith, they'll begin to experience a joy that they never thought possible because it's a joy that this world cannot give. So Lord, just search our minds and hearts now and help us to respond by faith in the way that you want. And we give you thanks and glory for the greatest gift that you've given us, the gift of yourself through Christ in your name. Amen.